Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. All who are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of our first lesson, which comes to us from the first chapter, the Acts of the Apostles. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus did and taught from the beginning to the day when he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many conviction, convicting proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times of, or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going. And they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's stand for the second lesson, which continues in, in the first chapter. God's Word speaking to us today. Picking back up with the 15th verse, In those days Peter stood up among the believers together with the crowd numbering about 120 persons and said, Friends, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered among us and was not allotted his share in this ministry and was allotted his share in this ministry 
Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place, and they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. God has a sense of humor. I hope you've discovered that. Last week I spoke to you about living a more selfless life in the manner of Jesus Christ, who selflessly came down out of heaven, was obedient to his Father, died on a cross for us for the salvation from our sinfulness to give us life abundant here and now and life eternal. God rescued us from our predicament by our own doing and by the doing of the sin into which we were born. And we, we uh, link that with this idea of saving turtles. A selfless act. And I told you about a year ago the illustration I used of seeing a jogger rescue a turtle in the heat of the day. On Friday morning I was jogging. In a neighborhood, it was rather remote, not a whole lot of traffic, good place to run, it was rather steamy already. And as God's providence, a coincidence should happen, there was a turtle in the road. And so I said, good morning, turtle, you're more than halfway across the road, there's not much traffic here, I think you're going to make it, good luck. And then I got about 50 yards down the road and my conscience got the better of me, so I had to go back and rescue that little rascal. God has a sense of humor. And God has something to say to us today. Wherever we find ourselves, there's a word that God wants to speak to our lives and to our hearts and to our minds. So let's pray that we will receive it. Loving God, you're a God of joy, you're a God of life and life abundant. You're a God of eternal life, you're a God present with us here. You know us, you love us, you're involved in every detail of our lives. You know how many hairs are upon our heads, you know the length of our days. You know the words upon our tongues before we speak them, before we sit down, before we rise up. You are intimately connected to each one of us. You knit us together in our mother's wombs. You're with us and you have something to say to us today, so open our minds, sensitize our hearts, surrender our wills 
to your perfect will, that as we hear what it is that you would give us today, that we would receive it, and then by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, live it out today and in the days to come as individuals and as this community of believers who follow the risen one, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm excited about this new sermon series that we are launching into today. What are we going to do to follow the story? That 31-week passage through the full length of Scripture. And what we are going to do is we are going to dig deeply into the book of the Acts of the Apostles for the next 26 weeks. And we start today. The sermon series is entitled, Louder Than Words. And we know what speaks louder than words? Actions. And that's what the book of Acts is full of. Not just words, but the acts of the apostles. Those who witnessed the death, experienced the resurrection, and saw the ascension of Jesus Christ, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, they act to be God's faithful men and women in the world. And so we embark on this study today. A few words about Acts as we begin to refresh us, to uh, educate us, to get us on the same page. Who wrote the book of Acts? Wesley, this is a test. Luke, he passed. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. The same Luke that wrote the Gospel Luke, we believe, is the author of the Acts of the Apostles. There, there is so much in common between these complementary books. Part one, in which we see Jesus give his life for us in the gospel. Part two, in Acts, Jesus now give us his power. The two were linked. Same author, we believe. Who was Luke? He could have been the physician that the Apostle Paul mentions in his letter to the Colossians. Could have been one of the original apostles, maybe a disciple of the apostles. But we know that he was intimately involved in the community of faith and probably was witness to the life of Jesus and the things of which he writes. We know that he was also a traveling companion to Paul because as we get deeper in this book, we'll see in the second half, it's really a travelogue of Paul. To complement what he was saying in his epistles, we see more particularly how he was moving and some of the background material behind the letters that Paul wrote. And Luke was there as a witness in reports. The other thing that we know about Luke is that he was a Gentile. Now we believe that Matthew and Mark and John, the other gospel writers, were from the Jewish community, were completed Jews or Messianic Jews who became followers of Jesus, but not Luke. Luke is a Gentile, and his work is tailored to Gentile readers. If you think about Matthew, just in the birth narrative of Matthew compared with the birth narrative of Luke, who is the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ first revealed to in the book of Matthew? Am I going to have to go back to, to Wesley? Who, who are they? There are three of them. The Magi. Matthew is writing to a, a Jewish audience. He quotes the Old Testament extensively. Jesus is the king of the Jews. The kings come to worship the king. In Luke, who is the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ revealed to? 
the shepherds, they're outsiders. This gospel of Jesus Christ, this revealing of the kingdom of God is not just a political kingdom for the manifestation or the completion of God's chosen people, but this kingdom that Luke is announcing is very clearly something much broader and wider and all-inclusive, not just to shepherds, but any outsiders, and particularly to women. Luke's gospel is kind and inclusive to women, the gospel. So these are some of the things that we'll keep in mind and we'll see played out as we go into this study. The other thing that I want to say about Acts from the outset is that this entire book is, is also very particularly crafted to show the differentiation between the Christian community that was formed in the wake of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. It's differentiation from what some believed it to be a Jewish sect within Judaism. No, Luke is very clear in his book, The Acts of the Apostles, to show this church, this movement, is a new thing, a new reality. It is not a, it is, it is not a sect within Judaism. It is born out of Judaism. And it is a new thing. The revelation of Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We'll see this borne out. One of the other things that I'll mention from the outset, you heard in the first reading that, that, that Acts is written to someone named Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus. Well, if you look back at the first of Luke, Luke's gospel is also addressed to Theophilus. Who is this person? We're not really sure. But we know that the name means lover of God. Was it a real individual? Or could it be that Luke wrote the Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles to the general Gentile audience who were lovers of God, yet not part of the original Jewish community? We don't know. But there is another link between Luke and Acts, putting these books together with this common author. So in the book of Luke, we see how Jesus gave His life for us. In the book of Acts, we see how Jesus gave us His power. It's been said that the theme of the entire New Testament could be found right here in the first chapter of Acts, in the eighth verse, where it said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be My witnesses. That's our job. That's our marching orders as followers of Jesus, to be witnesses to Jesus. His death, his resurrection, His Lordship. And it says, you shall be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, in the rest of Palestine, and into all the world. And so here it is at the beginning of this account that the disciples are reminded of what Jesus had told them about receiving the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus, we read, departs from the disciples from the Mount of Olives. They watch Him ascend into heaven. And there they are. After seeing this magnificent feat of Jesus return to the Father like He promised that He would, then an angel speaks to those men and women of Galilee saying, What are you doing? 
Why are you just standing here gazing into heaven? Didn't you hear what your Savior said? Don't be looking up for Jesus to return. Be looking around for the work that Jesus has empowered you and will empower you to do. So they are caught here in this slight conundrum. We have been with Jesus. We have heard His teaching. We have seen and known of His cruel passion and crucifixion. We have seen His glorious resurrection and now His magnificent ascension. And the question they are left with is, okay, what do we do now? They are at a threshold moment. Life is changing for them. It has been this way with Jesus. And now His physical presence is not with us. Something is changing in this moment. John Claypool, a brilliant preacher and writer, said this in his book, Mending the Heart, I have learned something through all my experience. Listen to this. That every exit is also an entrance. Every time you walk out of something, you walk into something. The disciples are walking out of one way of life, and now they are walking into something altogether different. They're exiting, but they are also entering. And so it is with life. We exit the womb to enter into life. We crawl so that we can walk. We walk and then we run and then we run so that we can drive. We leave high school so we can go into college. And then that time comes that we die and leave this life so that we can enter into the life beyond this life promised to us. Every exit is also an entrance. Every ending is a new beginning. And so the disciples find themselves at this threshold. My friend David Bailey that you've heard me speak of many times, who has profoundly influenced my life, diagnosed with a grade 4 glioblastoma, given six months to live, ended up living 14 years. Not all of them pretty. Many of them filled with challenges, hardships, pains, disappointments, but a lot of joy and life as well. He taught me that when you face one of these thresholds in life and change has come, the proper question is not, why me? But what now? Now what, God? David, upon his diagnosis of brain cancer, said, what now, God? And he picked up his guitar, which he loved to play, and began writing his music and performing it again. He said, if I have six months to live, that's what I want to do. And he toured 40 states, five countries, produced and wrote every song on 23 CDs. What now, God? Have you graduated? What now, God? Have you retired? What now? Have you lost your job? 
What now? Have you received that diagnosis? What now? Has your marriage ended? What now? Has your spouse died? A loved one? What now? Jesus has been resurrected. He has ascended. What now, God? The disciples ask. And what Jesus has told them to do is to wait and pray. Wait and pray. I'm not very good at the former. I'm trying to improve on the latter. How about you? You good at waiting? Waiting is not something I do very well. We took a trip recently to Atlanta. Some of our members and our administrator, Suzanne McCary, to tour some churches, three Presbyterian and one Episcopalian, to think about an ash garden, a memorial garden here at our church. We're exploring that possibility. Our trip pushed into the day, and you know the traffic is not very favorable. And when we caught sight of the 7585 connector going south, it was a parking lot. The last thing I wanted to do was sit still in traffic for who knows how long, waiting for it to break free. So I said, Suzanne, do you know a different way to get out of here? She said, it'll put us a few miles out of the way. I said, I don't care. We drove probably 35 miles out of the way to go around the traffic jam, and we didn't have to stop once, and I was so grateful. How do you do with waiting? Waiting in the Christian context is not a passive exercise. Just like prayer is not something passive, waiting and praying are both active and engaged. Waiting and praying does not sitting around twiddling your thumbs and say, okay, waiting for something to happen. No, Christian waiting is more on the level of what we learn in the letter to James as James talks about the farmer who plants the crop and then waits and is active in her waiting for the harvest of tending, keeping, fertilizing, weeding, all the while active, waiting for God to bring the growth and the harvest. That is the Christian posture of waiting. And praying is anything but passive. Praying is being engaged in a relationship with the living God. Praying is talking and listening. It is asking and pleading. It is praising and adoring. It is confessing and interceding. Praying is thanking and learning. And when we wait and when we pray in an active manner, what we find out is that God's time is not our time. In Greek, we understand two definitions for time. One is chronos, which is chronological time that we chart on the watch. You put the cake in the oven and you take it out in 20 minutes. But also in Greek, the other word for time is kairos time. That is God's time. And you can throw your watch away, but you better watch the cake to know when it's ready to take out of the oven. Not by watching your watch, but by knowing by smell and taste and experience. And God's time is the kairos time. You know, our prayer typically is in, 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 in our waiting is, Lord, give me patience, and I want it right now. God will teach us patience, but God's timing is perfect. And we are called to live life in a posture of prayer and waiting, looking forward 
looking forward to life that God is showing us and understanding the life that we've lived by looking behind us. It's true that those who wait upon the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. And in our praying and in our waiting, we find ourselves being blessed because we are being drawn closer to God and understanding God's presence with us in new and powerful ways. Luke shows us the power of prayer both in his gospel and in the acts of the apostles. We'll see that borne out. And in a posture of waiting, we also learn humility. And waiting is praying is what the disciples do. Where do they go? They go back to Jerusalem, as Jesus said. Where in Jerusalem do they go? Does anybody remember? The upper room. They go back to that place that had power and memory for them. And there with 120 men and women, they wait and they pray. Right after Easter, I was blessed to go on the Camino, a spiritual pilgrimage in Portugal and Spain, with uh, my good friend Chris Woodruff. Chris, Chris's mom, Faye, an officer here in our church, gave us little clippings of quotes by one of her favorite writers, and we made it a discipline every morning to read one of those quotes by Meister Eckhart. One of the quotes that we pulled out as we began our spiritual trek for that day was, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. As we wait and as we pray, we must be willing to begin again every morning like children, to become children in each new day and say, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah, Lord, I have one more day. We enter the day with anticipation and joy and expectation. One of the other quotes that Meister Eckhart gave us on our spiritual pilgrimage was help with the what now question. And we read, as Meister Eckhart wrote, do the next thing well and the rest will take care of itself. Notice that Eckhart said, do the next thing well, not perfectly. Oh, God knows the perfectionist that lives in me, that paralyzes me to be a procrastinator, and I never get anything done because I'm afraid I won't do it perfectly. But no, do it well, the next thing, and the rest will take care of itself. And that's what the disciples did. They did the next thing. They went to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room. They worshiped. They prayed. They waited. And they elected a new apostle. They did the next thing. This community is going on. We're not quitting. We're not dying. We are growing. We are ready for the next thing and God's faithfulness. And they appointed Matthias as the twelfth apostle. And what is the next thing for us at First Presbyterian? Well, we're electing new officers. 
going through it faithfully and prayerfully. Vacation Bible School is coming. And after that, the next thing will be music camp. And after that, we will navigate through General Assembly with contentious issues, with faithfulness and trust in the sovereign God. We will be operating on Kairos time and we will do the next thing and the next thing. And by God's grace, we will do it well. What is the next thing for you? Is it college? Is it a job search? Is it a challenge in your parenting or in your relation, your married relationship? Is it a call to serve? What is the next thing for you? My friend David Bailey kept doing the next thing and he wrote a song about it. I want to read and end with these lyrics. Whatever the next thing is for you, keep on walking even when you stumble. Keep on walking even when you fall. Keep on walking even when you're nervous. Keep on walking even when you stall. Keep on walking, the journey is a long one. Keep on walking, lift your foot again. Keep on walking, no one's going to pull you. Keep on walking, you have not reached the end. Keep on walking, don't matter if you're tired. Keep on walking, don't matter if you're lost. Keep on walking. This is not a rehearsal. Keep on walking no matter what the cost. Keep on walking through the darkest midnight. Keep on walking through the noonday sun. Keep on walking across the raging rivers. Keep on walking. You've only just begun. Keep on walking. Don't let the mountains stop you. Keep on walking though the valley may be deep. Keep on walking. Know that God is with you. He only makes a promise. He will keep. Keep on walking for a thousand different reasons. Keep on walking, I don't need to tell you why. Keep on walking, we're only here a short while. Keep on walking until you learn to fly. And those who wait upon the Lord, who wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like He's good to His Word. And He's always on time. Is that the sound of a rushing, a mighty rushing wind that I hear? Oh, wait a minute. That's next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.